you know when you really listen to somebody and they're having a bad day and you just open-heartedly listen and take it in and let them tell their story until they can't talk anymore and you feel so good having done it and then like 20 minutes an hour later you feel like crap there's a reason for that because we're energy bodies as well as physical bodies and my guest today is going to talk about how to decharge those stressors from our bodies because if we don't they build up and they build up and bad things happen and I don't want bad things to happen to you. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do, who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor, maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. Today, we're going to talk about radical self-care for all of you who think you don't need this and are about to talk, turn off this, this uh, episode. Please don't. I think that everybody can use some self-care, especially in this day and age. And my guest today, Alex Utterman, is going to tell us all about it. Alex? Oh, thanks so much. Really great to be here. Yeah, you are a global practitioner of radical self-care, a leader of groups and <laughs> programs and educational seminars. How did you find yourself doing this? Oh, so reluctantly, I have to tell you. Oh. I came from a really diverse background. Uh, my training was as a classical musician. I was also a fairly good writer, and I made a living as a journalist in the field of computer gaming. Wow. <laughs> just just bizarre, right? You know, a master classical of music. no trades. <laughs> there's definitely a through line. I didn't really think about spirituality or healing or any of this stuff at all. In fact, I was deeply skeptical and kind of got broadsided by it in my late 20s to the point where I wound up living in South India for five years studying miracle healing with a healing saint there who had extraordinary like encyclopedic knowledge of how the human energy system works, how to bring relief to people who are suffering all kinds of things in this world, from extreme heartbreak to depression to anxiety to uh, serious illnesses and so on. So in the course of that study, I found these radical self-care techniques. They actually come from ancient India, and they're so simple and relevant and so needed now in our modern world that I've become kind of the poster child <laughs> for, for these very simple techniques that allow us to dissolve stress instantly. Talk to the skeptics in the audience who say, this energetic body thing, I've heard about it before, explain the difference between our energy body and our physical like bones and flesh body. Right, all that woo-woo nonsense. <laughs> yes, it's hilarious actually. So. Is there a difference? Yes. And yet, oddly enough, the energy system that we have in our body is also part and parcel of our body, right? You can't extricate the two from each other in the expression of the human being. However, we have a physical form. Yes, we have bones and flesh and interesting systems from circulatory to endocrine. And behind all of that <clears throat> is the energy system 
I'm sure people have heard things about chakras or um, maybe we have a soul. I would say yes to all of them. The more that we can understand a little bit about how energy works or to understand all the nuances of the human system in order to get the benefit of affecting ourselves from the energy side, less from the physical material side. A very simple example is how do you feel when you hear a piece of music that really moves you to tears, right? That's touching something beyond our biochemical (laughs) processes, right? There's some ineffable magic there. What is that? It's hitting the energy system. It's touching our soul. Where are those tears coming from? Why would your eyes make water? Mm-hmm. Because you're moved by some beautiful thing. Maybe it's a piece of art or maybe it's a, a scene in nature that's so gorgeous. It's so moving. Mm-hmm. That thing that moves in us, I would say, is our soul. Mm-hmm. Right? So there is something a little bit more to us than just muscle and bone and matter and brain and, and all of these things that we know mechanically exist in the human system. Um, so toward that end, how do we approach that? And how do we work with that side of ourselves? to let's say self-healing in a really profound and immediate and palpable way. And I like the immediate part because Mm. it's been explained on this podcast before the physical form is the slowest way to get to change. Trying to change the body is much slower than working with the energetic system, working with our mindset, our belief systems. So I would say if anybody listening who's still not sure that this is possible, stick with us and see, because Alex is going to explain to us this release system, how this can possibly be so. But I want to gather the people that might most need this, who might be listening now. They are people that have extreme stress in their day because of their job. They might be a frontline worker. They could be a caregiver to a spouse, a child, a parent, animals. They could be in a difficult relationship. All these things can lead to physical manifestations of what is an emotional, energetic relationship between the situation and our soul, our heart. Would you say that's close to accurate? Yes, I would. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will dismiss needing radical self-care or any kind of new modality in their life because they haven't gotten a diagnosis that something's wrong. (laughs) And yet, as you pointed out, if you come home every day and you need to grab the Motrin for a headache, that's not normal. So something is going on. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So let's go back to who is under stress. Um, You mentioned frontline workers, caregivers for a spouse or for adult children, people who are really under it every day or their job, right? So one of the things that I came to understand, actually, that makes sense, which is this. Human beings, energetically, subtle levels, are like semi-permeable membranes. That's to say, we're very porous with other people. We absorb and exchange energy with other people all the time, whether we're consciously aware of that or not. So let's say someone works in HR, in corporate, and they are the shoulder that everybody in the company comes and cries on. This is pretty normal. Or a project manager. I mean, it doesn't have to only be in a healing modality. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anybody who's involved with a lot of people and interacting with them and their stress and their anxiety and their high stakes performance situation or whatever it is, is subject to this. If you're the shoulder that other people come and, and pour out their guts on, indirectly, 
you're absorbing some of their stuff in the process of being a good character and listening with an open heart. Once we've absorbed the negative, painful stuff from other people, generally they feel great. <laughs> They're like, good. Oh, I'm so glad we had this conversation. <laughs> well, I, I feel relief, right? Maybe a good friend who calls you on the phone and they've had something really traumatic happen. And as a good friend with an open heart, we're listening to them, right? They feel great after an hour and we feel like, you know, we want to <laughs> like go consume a bottle of whiskey or eat a whole Sara Lee chocolate cake or uh, go yell at someone. We've absorbed something. There's been an energetic exchange. Let's say it like that. One person got relieved of something. Another person suddenly feels weighed down, maybe drained, maybe exhausted, maybe just enervated. You know, it depends on how it hits the neurophysiology. When there's an exchange of energy like that, when somebody gets relieved of something painful, we know from physics, matter doesn't disappear. It just changes state. Mm -hmm. So where did that go? That block of gnarly, painful stuff that they got rid of in the conversation, in the unloading, where did it go? Guess what? Majority of it came to the person who's the recipient of that conversation, mm -hmm. of that helpful nature. The more open our heart is, the more we're like a big sponge absorbing even more of people's stuff. Now, here's the crazy part. That's fine. We're here to do that for each other. We came here to help each other. That seems kind of obvious. The problem is if we don't have a way to offload that quality of energy, let's call it like a packet that came into us as a result of listening to someone or helping in that way, it stays in our system and it metabolizes. Enough of that, it builds up, builds up, builds up. And then you see anxiety, depression, insomnia, body pains, headaches, neck aches, compulsive thinking, can't stop thinking about this thing. You'll see attorneys who defend kids. I've actually seen this happen. You'll see school teachers, anybody in the medical or helping professions, psychotherapists. By the time they get home at night, they, they're still chewing on the cases, the people, the stories. They can't let go. Why? That's an energetic input that came into them. It's literally like somebody handed you a package of their stuff and you said, oh, I'm happy to accept that. And now you're carrying it. Mm -hmm. What to do about that? If we don't have an effective way to dissolve it from the human system, it will build up and it will build up into all these crazy other symptoms that are literally our own neurophysiology screaming at us, hey, you need radical intervention. You need to get this stuff out of your system. The things that are driving you crazy right now and creating all these symptoms are not yours. They're the overlays that have come from interacting with other people in a really beautiful, helpful way. Mm -hmm. So the way I would characterize this, the human system is like a battery. Hey, we have positive charges. We have negative charges. We're bags of water with a lot of semi- precious metals, right? Like copper and so on. We can accept positive charges. We can hold the beautiful piece of art or music that moves us to tears or a loving conversation with someone or something that we see in nature, like an animal or a mom with a little baby or two lovers kissing. Oh, that's so delicious. So beautiful. These kinds of charges, um, a good meditation, uh, a good religious experience. We want to keep those in our, our inner battery. Mm, negative charges. If someone yells at us, an argument, stressful, traumatic things happen, or we hear someone else's stressful, traumatic things, those will also stay in our, let's call it the soul battery 
for lack of a better word, those will stay in us until we can get those negative charges out of that battery. Let's say decharging literally are the techniques that I learned in India to pull the negative charges out effectively, give them back to nature, but keeping the positive charges in our system at the same time. I have a very strong healing practice here in LA and I do uh, Zoom healings for, pardon me, people from all over the world. Majority of the people are just overwhelmed and stressed and anxious and approaching burnout or PTSD, or it's already turned into a serious physical illness, some kind of chronic condition. Maybe it's autoimmune, maybe it's cancer, but what's underlying that is a desperate and, and painful need to learn the techniques to decharge this kind of energy from their system. And it, it brings a world of relief. Yeah. You've got some amazing testimonials on your website. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> just look at your websites right now. One is energeticsofselfcare.com. Energetics, E-N-E-R-G-E-T-I-C-S of selfcare.com. And you have another one for your local practice, right? Oh, it's not only local, actually. Oh, uh, some of it is local, but also I, you know, even before the pandemic, I was teaching uh, and healing or via Zoom, actually, since 2016. So I have kind of a global audience of people who want to learn the healing systems and turn around and use those in their lives with maybe clients or in their work life, as well as doing personal healing sessions. So that is uh, UCBK. And they'll also be on the page for the podcast. Oh, so, great. So I want to go back to the idea of burnout. Mm -hmm approaching mm. burnout. I think there are some professions where burnout is, I'm going to use the word expected in air quotes. Recently, a friend of mine took a job, a new boutique hotel chain needed a pastry chef, and they brought her in as the consultant and then asked her to stay. And the person in charge saying, well, we, we expect you to work 60 hours a week. And she's at a point in her career where she just said, no, that's not what I do, right? I'm good enough that I don't have to manage my stress level for you at that rate, I can do all the work I need to do in 40 to 45. And they said, okay, show us. But sometimes, and she's, you know, she's a mature woman, so she's learned to set boundaries. But for somebody who's younger or somebody who hasn't learned those boundaries, and it doesn't have to be a job, but 60 hours a week, but it's the expected thing. Nurses, perhaps, oh. C-suite executives, people think, and rightfully so, because there is an expectation above them setting these standards of more work, less downtime, less, they have to learn to, as you would say, decharge some of the stress that they take in every day, right? Yes. Well, and I think you, you've hit it pretty squarely on the head. You know, corporate culture, I did write for Silicon Valley for many years. And my former partner, Jonathan Rosen, we went through these trenches of spiritual teaching and healing and learning all these things together. He was a management consultant for Fortune 100 companies, bringing these kinds of techniques into the corporate environment. And major companies like Hewlett Packard, Boeing, the culture was, you know, you get your can do, they're always on call, the 60 hour week, that kind of thing. And there seemed to be a total lack of recognition from management that you get these stars, they're hungry, they're achieving in the corporate world, and they're burning out in droves. And then what? You appreciate their star quality for what you're, you're paying them for <laughs> and all the, you know, the accomplishments that they're creating with inside the, the company. But that's not sustainable, right? 
there was one character, this was way before we had video conferencing, but there was one guy who worked for one of these major companies. I think he was one of the VPs, you know, in charge of whatever. And they would have these giant uh, conferences all the worldwide. And this guy was flying all over from California, Pacific Rim, California, Pacific Rim all the time and had a heart attack. He was in his fifties. And there was much kerfuffle in the company. Oh my gosh. The feeling was, you know, obviously they pushed this guy to the limits and he just couldn't do it anymore. So after that, he was totally willing to keep doing these long flight conferences. And they were saying, okay, well, we're going to change it up. You're going to join by video or by phone. And we have to adjust our culture, you know? So the expectation is really high and type A people want to meet those expectations. We thrive on one level by accomplishing a lot and by having that purpose and by being the star person. And unfortunately, majority of the time, ignoring our own physical and emotional system, crying out for some kind of break and some kind of relief from it. Uh, And we ignore that at our peril, right? Let's just say that somebody does absolutely have to work. You know, nurses work 12-hour shifts. There are drivers for, you know, all these delivery companies now. They also are asked to work long shifts. What can you offer people who actually have those restrictions placed on them by the job and they need the job? How can you help them with their stress? Here's a crazy thing. The techniques that I learned and that I share on energeticsofselfcare.com are so efficient. You can use them while you're working. Yeah. Okay. Here's the dilemma of (laughs) self-care. The dilemma of self-care is if you have a highly stressed individual in one of these really demanding job scenarios, they get so stressed that they can't even think to add something to put self-care on their agenda becomes another stressor. (laughs) I can't even think about that because And so generally people will try something. They'll have a a workout regime. I go to work eight hours a day and then I hit the gym on my way home. It's a kind of way trying to de-charge. It's trying to de-stress, right? I would say you're kind of, it's inefficient because it may be an hour of a workout or even a half an hour on a kind of material level. That's not really addressing the deeper stress internally that's now lodged in the system at a subtle level, but it's something, right? Or you'll see people saying, I make a self-care plan for my weekend where I read a book, I take a bath, I go for a walk in nature, flailing, trying to balance this terrible imbalance that that's clear, it's inside. Generally speaking, that stuff piled on a schedule just seems like more stress. And what I see is that that's the last thing on the list. It's a funny thing, but as human beings, we tend to put ourselves last. And it seems to take a monumental effort to take care of the self in a way that's really uplifting and positive. So the way I design energetics of self-care techniques, some of them can be done away from the work environment. That's true. But the majority of them can be done while on the job. There are two major sets. One is a series of techniques about decharging, what we've been talking about, getting the negative charges, the traumas, the painful stuff that we automatically absorb from our environment, especially in those direct conversations where someone is really traumatized. For frontline workers, it's not only what they're seeing in the hospital environment, but it's dealing with the families of people mm-hmm. who are can't see their relatives. So they're really taking it in the teeth as are the uh, respiratory therapists, the EMS folks. I mean, it's the whole structure of everybody in healthcare. 
So there's one set of decharging techniques that people literally can do while they are on the job. A stressor comes up, somebody just yelled at me, and it's such a simple thing. But if someone really rips you a new one, you're shaking, right? There's a feeling. What is that shaking inside? It's your whole energy system reeling from this kind of negative, assaultive energy. Now it's partly in your system. And you, I'm sure know, and I'm sure listeners know, that's really hard to shake. Even an hour later, two hours later, you're still kind of reverberating with that, that thing that happened. I live in LA. So if somebody gives you a dirty look on the freeway because you cut them <laughs> off, we feel it. We're actually quite sensitive as energetic beings. We just don't think of ourselves like that. How to get that charge out? It can be done while on the job. That's one level of the techniques that I have. The second thing is a series of uh, very simple uh, meditation technique. It's so simple, but because it's highly energized, people can do it while they are working. It doesn't matter. It's like a background thought that happens. It's not like they have to sit in formal meditation. But because of the quality of that type of meditation, it creates, a, it's kind of, I mean, this is going to sound really nuts. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it kind of creates like a force field around the person, a protective force, like a, making them a little bit more bulletproof to all the slings and arrows that come in mm-hmm. so that by the end of the day, they actually will have less to decharge out of the system of accumulated stress and strain. And that can be done while working. So both of the techniques that I have are integrated into the workplace. So it's not an extra item that somebody has to deal with. Mm-hmm. And we're I, teasing people now. Where can they find these things? <laughs> right. Energeticsofselfcare.com. There's like a mailing list, you know, sign up and get two free videos. Well, there are two series of trainings. One is for decharging and the other is for the integrative meditation. And when someone signs on the mailing list, they get the introductory videos for both of those series so that they can see, hey, do I resonate with this? Is the form something that I want to learn? Is this content meaningful to me? And they're very short videos. They're like 20 minutes at most. By the time somebody goes through, I think the second video in the decharging series, they will already have some of the technique. They can start to use it. When I developed that website, I was really worried. I still am. (laughs) about our frontline healthcare workers during the pandemic. I have a lot of friends who are on the front lines, both as physicians and as nurses. I can say my nurse friends in the front lines who use the decharging techniques and the integrative meditation, they're fine, no matter what they see, no matter what they experience. And as you say, they have very long hours. (laughs) Uh, My friends on the front lines who do not use these techniques are the hot messes you would imagine, ranging from coping substances, abuse, to uh, severe depression, anxiety, can't sleep, compulsive behaviors of all kinds. It's really quite something. It sounds like it. I noticed on your website, you also talk about actors. No Mm -hmm. surprise, they're living in LA. And I was reading an article about the Nutcracker Suite dancers this year at the New York City Ballet. Mm -hmm. They had masks on. And I was thinking the stress of practicing as an actor or a dancer in a company with a mask, when you're used to breathing in and energizing yourself with your breath, that's another layer of stress for these people. They're happy to be back. Yes, and Broadway as well. But I hadn't really thought about that. If you're in a company, you still have this layer of protection for yourself and others that is putting a layer of energetic weight on you, perhaps. Sure. Yeah, well, the nature of being a performer itself 
<clears throat> so anybody who's in the public eye at all. So that could be a lecturer, a presenter, an actor, a musician, a stand-up comedian, <clears throat> a politician. If you're in a, a situation where you're giving a public presentation, right, and a lot of eyes are on you, automatically people start to decharge their own stress onto the person who is the focal point. So let's say with entertainment of any kind, let's say a musician or an acting troupe or a stand-up comedian or a dance uh, troupe, they're performing. What happens? Let's, let's look at the energetics of it, right? Not the, not the surface mechanics. People come in, maybe they had a crappy day. Maybe they've had a really hard week. They're so excited to go to a live performance and just escape, right? And just forget. They start to relax. They're being entertained by something. As they start to relax, automatically they start to decharge the stress of the day, week, month, whatever. Through the eyes, it's going to the people who are facilitating that, let's call it a healing, that decharging that's automatically coming out of a large audience. I mean, if you're talking about the Met or Broadway show, you've got thousands of people there. Yeah. All of that is going to the performer. Where did sex, drugs, and rock and roll come from? <laughs> what happens to the performers after the show? They are buzzing. I've been a performer myself. They are buzzing, vibrating so high with an energized feeling that's actually quite uncomfortable if you parse it. Many performers will say, oh, but I love that wave of energy, man. I get it from the people. We're in a relationship. I love it. Others, when I would come home from performing classical uh, piano, I would be up till three in the morning, bouncing off the walls, could not sleep completely energized. And I thought it was adrenaline. It's not adrenaline. It's an input of hundreds of people or thousands of people automatically pouring their stress. Nobody means to do that, mind you. It just happens naturally onto the person who's facilitating that beautiful, artful escape and, and good feeling. It's opening people's hearts. And when the heart is open, we tend to offload stress. So unless a performer has a way to decharge that, they'll go kind of crazy. And you can see sex, drugs, rock and roll. I mean, where do the actors go after a performance? They go to the bar. Why? They're desperately trying to balance this imbalance that they're feeling inside. Mm -hmm. And in a Broadway show, they have to get up the next day and do it again. That has always amazed me. I saw the last show of Monty Python's <laughs> What on Broadway. I can't remember which one it was. And spam a lot. It was, it was spam a lot. And they were all a little crazy yeah. because, of course, they've been doing it for how long. But they let their hair down, too. And there was a lot of ad-libbing. And it was probably even better than it was as a strict production. Yeah. But all I could think about was these people are going to sleep for a year if they don't have another show. Because every day, and they were talking about what reminded me, is they talked about, we've been doing eight shows a week for so many weeks. And I thought... That takes a special kind of human being at that level, performer, athlete, whatever it is, just something that I so admire, but don't understand. You have to have so much endurance yeah. physically, such incredible stamina for it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you see it take its toll. Like so many performers yes. have been overwhelmed by stage fright at some point in their career and they literally can't go on stage. Mm -hmm. Why? It's built up. Or they do have mental health issues, or they develop physical issues, or they can't sleep, or, 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 or. So the toll, you know, is kind of enormous. Um, and it's considered, well, that's just part of the 
Right. That's just part of the drill, right? I, I have a colleague who's a physician, just to jump back to the medical world for a second, but it, it applies in this realm as well. So he's an internist. He's a Western MD. And he said, you know, every day that I came home from my clinic, I felt like I had been hit by three trucks. I couldn't function. I had no mind. I would sit in front of the TV watching nothing, <laughs> like seeing it, but not registering right, it, right? right? He would smoke a lot of marijuana and could not be present with his wife, could not be present with his kids. He lost his marriage. And he said, this was what medical school was like. This is the life of a physician. This was what I signed up for. I thought this was normal. What he didn't know was that because he's a tremendously open-hearted guy, really good doctor, uh, he was absorbing all the stuff from all his patients day in and day out. And for hours afterwards, just sitting there you know, like a zombie, or he learned these techniques. He also was a colleague of mine in India and learned the decharging techniques. He said, oh my God, I can decharge on the way home from work while I'm in my car. And by the time I get home after like a half an hour, 45 minutes, I'm clear, I'm clean, I'm fine. Absolutely none of that residual, blurry, foggy, weird energy. I have one very dear friend who's a world-class fusion and jazz pianist, keyboardist. How many times I have tried to explain to him about decharging? How many times over decades now? <laughs> and he'll say, no, no, but I love that feeling. You don't understand. You know, like I get pumped from the audience. I'm like, yeah. And how many bottles of wine do you have to go through before you can sleep at four in the morning mm. after a gig, man? How many bottles of wine? Don't need to do that. You could but just the wine decharge. Good, Alex. <laughs> hey, I got no problem with that. But, you know, do you really need three bottles when a couple glasses would do? <laughs> there, there was an amazing exchange between Gary Shandling and Tom Petty that was on the extra material of Gary Shandling's TV show DVDs back a million years ago. Yeah. And Shandling went around for the extra material to interview all of the great stars who were all his friends who had been on his show, right? On the, the Larry Sanders uh, show. And he went to see Tom Petty, who was a neighbor of his at the time in the Hollywood Hills. And Shanling shows up, the cameras are running. He's completely late. He's discombobulated. And he's so apologetic to his good friend, Tom Petty saying, oh man, I'm so sorry. I'm late. I don't know what happened. I I'm just not myself. He goes on to say, I did stand up in Mexico City for the first time in two years that I've actually done a big stand up comedy show in front of thousands of people. And he said, after the show, I couldn't even speak. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I, I just sat there, zombified. He said it was really embarrassing because I had a date with me and I couldn't even <laughs> interact with her. Petty says, oh, I know that, man. That happens after every performance I give. Shanling says, what? You know of this? <laughs> Petty says, yeah, I pace. I pace. After every show, my wife's used to it. We go back to the hotel room after the show. She watches TV and I pace around the hotel room for like two hours. Wow. Shanling says, you're kidding. My shrink says, I have performance anxiety. Petty's like, no, nah, this happens. It's a thing. And I'm sitting there watching this like, oh my God, their fingers are right on yeah. the subject. They've identified, oh my God, this is an energetic overload. They need to have some means to offload it. And they don't have any techniques, so they're screwed. Where were Stanley you? tried to meditate. Petty smoked pot. 
I loved Tom Petty. I was so oh sad when he died. God, that was the end of an, another era. I had such a crush. Um, <sighs> so let's make closing arguments. Mm -hmm. We didn't speak about lawyers, but they have a lot of stress, I'm sure. Um, yes, especially divorce lawyers who usually end up in, <laughs> in interesting right. divorces themselves. <laughs> so closing arguments about this mm. radical self-care. Mm. If it's easy mm. and it's portable mm. and it's not too woo, why wouldn't we all want to try this? Because even if stress is not chronic, yes, like you said, somebody yells at you, but we even have the day-to-day -day stressors like that leaky faucet, it's going to drive me crazy. I can't get a plumber here. These little things are also mm -hmm. stressors that yes. I think perhaps I might feel a little bit better sooner if I could learn these things. Yeah. 1000%. For simple things. Yes, of course. I think every human being should have these techniques because let's say, hmm, <laughs> let's say something happens to me like the leaky faucet and I'm, I'm enervated by that. I'm jangled, right? What is the quality of my interactions with other people going to be like that day if I have this underlying ugh feeling? Probably not very pleasant, which means I might create more misunderstanding and more stress and, and not very good communication, or I might get snippy with somebody. It kind of snowballs as I deal with other people, or it just may be throughout the day. I'm so annoyed by the thing that I can't focus on stuff I need to do. So if I could just simply decharge that, the whole feeling around it, in the moment. Decharging is kind of like brushing your teeth. I, I regard it as a daily practice. The reason being is um, you don't want six months from now, the effect of not having brushed your teeth. We have to do that every day. It's required. <laughs> number one, you don't want the lecture from that dental hygienist, but number two, you don't want the buildup and you don't want cavities. And you don't want gum issues and all the stuff that will happen if you don't maintain your teeth every day. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if we're accepting a lot of stressful energy from wherever it's coming, our home environment, our family, our friends, our work environment, or larger things like, oh my God, I read the news on Twitter and Lord, I need a stiff drink now. There's all kinds of stress. If we don't dissolve that daily, what's the buildup in our system and what's the cost to us over time? Mm -hmm. It's not pretty. <laughs> so my case to make would be, yeah, everybody should have these techniques. And I really wish this kind of stuff were taught to five-year-olds because mm -hmm. they could stop so much of the stress in schools and on the playground. And the way that we interact with people becomes a lot clearer and cleaner if we're not ourselves carrying some kind of stress that maybe we're not even that conscious of. Yeah. And I think the tricky thing is the, the ones we're not conscious of that are building up. We may be conscious that something is annoying us, but then we may go to bed and wake up the next day and forget about it until you don't forget about it. And yes, I have exactly. to add self-talk to the list of stressors that we could be discharged. Wow. I work Big with lots time. of women who decades into their beautiful life have lots of mean things to say to themselves. Guilty as charged. There are days, you know, it just happens. But if it's a chronic thing, it is harmful on a cellular level, which means on an energetic level. Because it absolutely is. So. And, and where did that initially come from? Where did we learn that particular line of you're not good enough, you're not la la la? Was it parental? Was it a teacher? Was it another kid? Was it an older sibling? Somewhere, if you go back in yourself, you'll see there was an initial input to the battery inside, a charge of negativity that was put into us. 
and we accepted it. And now we're just replaying it over and over and over again. So if you can get down to the layer where that thing was that hook, you can pull it out with the decharging techniques. And it doesn't have to be the big story. And my mother did this and my dad did that. And now I'm the result of, nope, you take out the energy that is disturbing and it's done. So the self-talk level, when you catch yourself doing that, were you to use the decharging techniques, you're catching this at the root because I don't want to perpetuate this and drag myself down. Life is hard enough. We don't have to also subject ourselves to friendly fire, right? I mean, it's just like, no, 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 no. I would have to say that the, uh, the bench rests on everybody these decharging techniques. Everybody needs it, and you need I it, and you need it. I would advise everyone <laughs> an earshot of my conversation with Alex to go to her website, which is energeticsofselfcare.com. Sign up for those free videos and start to get rid of some of the gunk, really. Yeah. It sounds great. I, I am definitely going to do that after this. Not that I have any stress in my life, but none I'm of sure. us really, yeah. <laughs> but you know, uh, given the, the thrust of your podcast, you know, if people want to age in a healthy, vibrant, alert, awake way, why wouldn't we use every tool in the book that we can get our hands on to, to make our quality of life so much better internally and externally? Absolutely. And I think of them as the habits of longevity. Yeah. Whether or not we want longevity, the fact is most of us will live longer than we expected. Some people want to live a long time. Some people are like, whatever happens, happens. But it will probably be longer than our parents' generation because we have more good things to rely on to help us age better. But again, these internal processes are equally as important as any of the exercise and the good food and all that other fancy stuff that we hopefully have made habits for ourselves already. So yeah, as a holistic being, we need to take care of all of us. And that includes the energetic self. So Amen. thank you very much for being with us. <laughs> this has been a great conversation. Aww. And uh, I, I would really love to hear from any of you who use these techniques of Alex's. And did you say that you certify people that you can teach people how to use them in their practices? I can teach people how to teach them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing is I know we have a lot of listeners who are practitioners and they might want another modality in their toolbox. So oh my God. A thousand percent. Yes. Yeah. This really, it needs to get out there to prevent so much unnecessary suffering. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're here to be, right? Light bearers. Let's help yes. end some suffering. Start with mm -hmm. ourselves first, right? Yes, absolutely. Thanks very much. Oh, it's a great pleasure, Gregory. Ann, really peeps. We'll be back next week with another absolutely fabulous guest. Be well till then. Hey everybody. I have a favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you listen to, please leave a review on your favorite site for listening to podcasts. You can also leave a comment on my website where you'll find the podcast at the podcast tab or under any of the guest podcast episode pages. Thanks. It means a lot to me and I appreciate you. Be well till next time.